Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto, the, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part makes increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's another one of those long sentences of Paul. <laughs> that was all one sentence. Uh, but he talks about first, God has given gifts to the body of Christ. Okay. Now we know there are other gifts. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is the gift to the body, not for the for that he gives and he lists four gifts that are given and we're going to look at those real quick he gives apostles prophets evangelists and pastor teachers now if you have a king james bible it says pastors and teachers it's actually in greek one one position so we're going to look at these real quick the gift the gift he gives is the those that are trained now does this mean that these four gift people gifted like this are better than everybody else in the church no we're all equal, but there is an honor that's applied to those because they are the gift to the church. And it's just the same thing in a, in a husband and wife situation. The husband isn't more important than the wife, but he is given the position of being head. In a business world, the, the boss is not more important than everybody else, but he is put in charge. And, and in one sense, without the boss, there wouldn't be a job. So you might say there is, but in the church, God gives these positions. The first one is apostle. It means a sent out one. It is somebody that teaches and, and speaks with authority. There are many that believe that apostles don't exist anymore. Uh, we're not going to get into that controversy today, because <laughs> I don't agree with that statement necessarily, but because God put it in that it is a gift to the church. The second one is prophets. And we've talked about what a prophet is. A prophet, you know, when we say prophet, everybody immediately goes to somebody who predicts the future. That is not what a prophet is in the scriptures, though that is a job they might perform. Their primary job is to speak with the authority of God. Okay, they hear God, they speak with authority. Most good pastor teachers or even apostles should have some gift of prophecy in their speaking. They speak with authority. And nothing's worse than a wishy-washy teacher. <laughs> Oh, it might mean this, or it might mean that. You know, you don't, you don't want that in your teacher. Uh, so a prophet is one who speaks with the authority of God. Then he talks about evangelists. Now, we are all told to go out and evangelize the world. And we're all to share the gospel. That is part of our walk as a Christian person. We're to share the gospel. We're to disciple people. But this is talking about a special gift of evangelism. And if you've ever been around somebody that has the gift of evangelism, it's amazing. They can't walk past a person without sharing the gospel. And they do it so smoothly, so easily. I went to lunch one time with an evangelist, or I mean a real evangelist, one gifted to be evangelist. We had to stand in line for a few minutes, so guess what he did? He talked to everybody in line 
about the gospel. And he wasn't, they didn't get offended. He just, it's the natural way that they flow. We sat down, he talked about to all the people around the tables. He talked to the bussers. He talked to the waitresses, you know, and, you know, whoever. And it's an amazing thing when you're with an evangelist. You know, sometimes you get these people coming in and they say they're evangelists, but, you know, they may have a nice canned message, but they're not necessarily evangelist. You will know, number one, if you're an evangelist, you will know that you're an evangelist. Because <laughs> you cannot stop the talking about God and the gospel. And, but as I say, we're all called to do it. But it's not all of us are given the gift of an evangelist. The last one he talks about is the pastor teacher. That is the shepherd. That is the one that pretty much stays with a church. The apostle, the prophets, they usually come in. We kind of know them nowadays as church starters or church planners. They blow into town, get a church started, and about a year and a half, two years later, they're going, just like Paul did in Acts, you know, okay, fine, I put, you know, you've got a body here, we're going to move on, and here's your pastor teacher. And that teacher, that pastor teacher shepherds people, he protects them, he helps them, he teaches. That's my job. <laughs> and then, what is he trying to teach? These positions are given for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body. The pastor teacher is here to help perfect, help bring people into their complete standing with God. All of us know that when we got saved, we became absolutely perfect the day we got saved, right? No, <laughs> that is not a true statement. You know, we, we have to grow, and it takes time to grow. Some people grow quicker than others and mature faster than others. Some take a long time to mature. <laughs> but the job of the pastor teacher, the job of these leaders is to help people grow. Get a complete knowledge of the Bible. We can all learn on our own because the Bible has, we have the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit. We can grow and learn on our own. We usually don't. We usually need to have a pastor teacher in our life that says, here, let me explain this to you. Let me make it simpler for you. The Holy Spirit could be a great teacher, and I've shared with you, he's taught me many things even when I was younger on my own. But we need the body of Christ. And the one thing I will tell you, if somebody tells me they're a Christian and they're not going to church, I can, I can guarantee you that eventually they will stop living as a Christian. And many of you are shaking your heads, yes, you know, you've been there. <laughs> you've been there where you've pulled away from the church and you're going, okay, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship God, and then time goes by and you start praying less, you start reading your Bible less, you, and eventually you're not doing it at all. We need the body of Christ. Now, is the body of Christ a magic pill that makes everything all of a sudden perfect? No. You can still fail in the body of Christ, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to fail in the body when people are saying, hey, we, you know, I love you, I'm building up. And then this word edifying. We are to edify. Not just the pastors, you know, and this is what it says, we are to edify. We are to tell people good things. Build them up. You know, I know every one of us loves to be around negative people, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that makes us just feel so good when they're telling us how bad we are, how bad the world is. Uh, how bad their life is, how bad the, the life of the church is, how bad the town is, bad, how bad this country is. You know, we just love being around those kind of people. They make us feel so good. No, that is not true. We want to be around people that are saying, hey, I love, 
I love seeing you. I really appreciate seeing you. It's you, you're such a blessing. You see your smile, your 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 countenance, your love for God, edification. This is what makes the church special. And we're not talking about flattery. And flattery is that false idea. You know, if you're telling people when you're edifying them, don't flatter them. Give them something true. <laughs> Because I don't like flattery. I don't like, I had somebody one time that came up to me in a church and says, I love what you're doing in the church. And I go, well, what am I doing in the church? <laughs> now, I knew what I was doing in the church, and I knew that that person didn't know what I was doing in the church. So it was just being flattery. We don't want flattery. We want to be edifying. Find something you can truthfully say about them. I love the fact that you're so faithful in church, or I, I love the fact that you're always so, you know, happy and, you're, and, you're, and you've got something good to say. It's very important, that edification, that desire. We've been talking a lot about being content. Paul said, I've learned to be, in con be content in much and in little. How many of us have a hard time being content with little? Probably all of us. That's a hard time to be content. When you're not sure, your health is down, your, your, your cupboards aren't full, you're not sure where the next meal's coming from, you're not sure where the rent's coming from. Isn't that a time that's hard to be content? What comes out of our mouth to people when we're around them? Do they all hear about how bad our life is? <laughs> or are they hearing how much God is blessing? How much I'm depending on God? And there's a fine line between letting your need be known and dwelling on your, on your need. And it's important to walk that line, but we need to be content. Bad times are not going to last forever. God is going to step in, and the, and the quicker you learn to be content, the quicker you'll probably be released from the bad time. But even if you're not released, you're still content, so you've been released. <laughs> yeah. And then he releases it, and the blessings come. But on the flip side, remember, the blessings aren't going to last forever either. <laughs> be ready. God's going to say, okay, if I take these blessings away, are you ready to be content still? And it may be a shorter time at that point. And he says, okay, yes, you still learned your contentment and let you have the blessings. But we need to learn to be content. Why can we as Christians be content? God's in control. <laughs> yeah. I can be in content no matter what he does because I know and truly believe God's in control. And I also know that he says all things work together for good. And I truly believe that. So when bad things happen and, and things are tight and you know, I don't know where things, money's coming from to pay the bills. You, know, you all know that I went for three years without having much money. And at the, end, in the middle of the month, I'm going, okay, God, here's all the bills that I don't have money for. <laughs> These are your bills. And then I'd put them back down in the stack and God would eventually send money for those bills. <laughs> Not much more beyond it, but he, and now I've got a blessing with the second job that I have. And I've got to remember to stay content with that and realize it may not be forever. But we want to be able to say, are you content? Are you content? Paul kept praying to God and said, remove the thorn in my side that he had. And God said, my grace is sufficient. You're not going to have it removed. If we have health issues, we need to say, okay, God, I'm going to pray for, for being healthy and just say, okay, God, if this is what you want, then teach me to be content and go forward in it. And that's very important as well, especially as we get older. And there's more, 
more pains and aches to keep us from doing what, it, what we want to do for him. But we need to be learning contentment with him. And so we're, in any, in any days, the reason for this edification and growing of the saints is that we will come into unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants us to be in unity. Now, we know how hard unity is. There's always going to be people in any group that you really like. You like being around them. They're fun to be around. You, you enjoy being around them. And in any group of any size, there's going to be people in that group that drive you crazy, that are hard to love, that just do, maybe they're not even doing anything wrong, but it just drive, what they do just drives you crazy. And God is saying, I want to show you how to love those people. I want to crucify your flesh with those people. And you know, when you allow him to crucify your, your flesh in those areas, sometimes those people that used to be unloving, you don't mind being around them anymore because God has taught you great love. Is it easy? No. It takes having your flesh crucified. It takes Christ living through us. Because none of us are geared to love somebody that's hard to love. It's just not the flesh. The flesh says, I want to be happy, and if you don't make me happy, I don't want to be around you. We're not supposed to live in the flesh. Jesus in Galatians 2.20, my favorite verse says, I am crucified with Christ. My flesh is to be crucified. And the more he does that, the more he's going to teach me to love people, the more he's going to put the hard-to-love people in our, in our path, and the more he's going to say, here you go, love these people. Love these people that are put into your path. I'm going to tell you, I know it's not easy to do. And God will always put people in my path that is hard to love. And it's very important that we learn the unity. Then it says, in the knowledge of the Son of God. The Greek word on this is epinosis, which means perfect or complete knowledge. The purpose of these leaders is to teach us a complete and full knowledge of who Jesus is. Now, when you got saved, you knew you didn't know very much about God, probably, in, in a complete knowledge. I know I didn't. I've shared with you. The first time I went to go out and t- tell my friends about Jesus, and they go, well, how do I get saved? I, my answer was very simple. I don't know. Come on the church bus with me su- Sunday, and, we'll, and they'll tell you how. All I knew is I said a prayer and got saved. I didn't even remember the words after I said that prayer, but I knew where to bring them. Now, I know the words and how to say, you know, if somebody asks me today, I'm going to have them pray right there at that moment and not take a chance of dying in between the time I talk to them and, and coming to church. I now know a lot more doctrine. I now know more about salvation. We don't know these things when we first get saved. All we know is that we, you know, we were convinced we were a sinner and we deserved hell. And we said, I want Jesus. Very important. We come to church, we come to gatherings with one another to learn and get a complete knowledge. The problem is we'll never have a complete knowledge. I'm still learning. 44 years of studying the scripture, I'm still learning what God wants me to learn. If he tarries for another 40 years and I get 84 years of studying in the scriptures, I will still be just starting to understand. I won't have a complete knowledge until I go to heaven. Whether it's by rapture, or by death, 
then I'll have the knowledge, the complete knowledge of who it is. And it's for us. It takes time. There's things we're not going to understand in the scriptures. There's things we will need to learn to understand. Every one of us has learned place, things in different areas and different, different places. And this is important for us to understand. Each one of us comes with something we can teach somebody else about what we've learned. And this is what I have said over and over. I don't care who is teaching in a class that I sit in or preaching in a church that I, live, that I visit. I'm going to learn something. If they are a man or a woman of God, I will learn something because God is speaking through them. And each one of us has grown at a different rate. And this is, this is one of the reasons we can't sit in judgment of one another. I've, I've learned uh, this particular thing, you've learned this particular thing, and I'm going, well, why haven't you learned what I've learned? Well, because it wasn't your life. <laughs> you've learned what God wants you to learn. Share what God is teaching you. Share it. I've said this over and over, and I think people don't believe me, but I love that when new Christians start sharing what they've learned in the Bible with me. For a couple of reasons. Number one, they're excited usually. God just taught them something, and they're excited about it. We all should be that way. <laughs> excited that God has shown us something in the scriptures, and we want to share it. The other thing is, sometimes what they've shared is very amazing <laughs> and really taught me because God showed them something and even though I've been studying the Bible for a long time, their insight can be very interesting and very insightful about what the Holy Spirit teaches them. When we get together, I want to encourage people, share what God is showing you. Talk to people about what God is showing you in the scriptures. You know, when God, when God shows you something and you get together with another Christian, you, you know, let me show you what God has shown, told me. It's a great way to come together. You know, great way to come together and just say, look what I have seen. When somebody can't show me that they've learned something in the scripture, my first thought is, are you learning anything? Are you in the word? Are you learning anything in that week? I get the distinct pleasure because I get to stand up in front of you five times a week and get to, get to tell you what God is showing me. But you know, get to, getting that back is wonderful. You know, getting the phone calls at my house saying, I have a Bible question. Or calling the office, I've got a question from the Bible. Tells me a lot. People are studying. When, when I taught Sunday school, we used to take and just say, the, in, the last Sunday of the month is going to be, come, come ask whatever question you want from the Bible. Stump the pastor, in that case, teacher. And I would love it when somebody would come in, I'd go, I've got a really hard question for you. And then they'd give me the question, we'd answer it for them. You know, but it's important are we in the Word? Are we, are we studying the Word ourselves? Not just being taught. The other thing that he gets into, he gets into some negatives here. In verse 14, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. God does not want us to be children. And this word in Greek literally means a non-talking infant. <laughs> okay, it's not just even children. He's talking about an infant that can't do anything. God does not want us to be babies <laughs> in the faith. Yeah, and over the years, I've met many, many people who claim to be Christians. Some of them for many years, and you talk to them, and they don't know what they believe. 
it's okay to be a baby Christian when you're a baby Christian. <laughs> when you first accepted Jesus Christ and you don't have answers, you don't know what's going on, it's okay to be a baby Christian. If you're still a baby Christian 10, 20 years after you supposedly got saved, you've got a problem. Same problem we would have if we had a physical baby in our hands and he's 20 years old and still weighs 10 pounds and is a baby. God does not want spiritual babies staying that way. He wants them to grow, which is the purpose of a pastor, apostle, uh, prophet, and evangelist, is to get these babies to grow. Grow in understanding. And this is why I push for us to read the Bible through in a year. Get into God's Word, because you cannot read His Word without it doing something in your life. You can't come and hear a message without something being taught that brings, you, brings it out. We do Bible studies for that very reason, so we can help you get a perfect knowledge and grow. The second sentence he uses is being tossed to and fro. Now, if anybody's been on a small boat or, or a, you know, on a very rough sea, or even a big boat <laughs> on a very rough sea, boats can get tossed about. Now, the bigger the boat, the less, the less you're going to feel the tossing. But, you know, you know, if you've been on a rowboat or something and a, and a storm starts coming up, it doesn't take a very large wave to start tossing that boat around. So he's saying, I don't want you to be tossed to and fro by the storms in your life. Many people, when they, they start walking with God and the first storm comes along in their life and tosses them around a little bit and they can say, okay, God, I give up. I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm going to pull away from the church. I'm going to pull away from the reading. And Satan was successful in, in, in hurting us. And then he says, by every wind of doctrine. It is amazing how many false teachings that are out there. And it's bad enough that we have false teaching in in all the different religions that we have. But you know, there's also a lot of false teaching within the church. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful what drives us and what we're listening to. Get into the Word. Know when somebody's speaking wrong. We get, as Christians, we have discernment from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And I don't know if you've ever listened to the radio or watched a TV evangelist and all of a sudden every alarm bells just start to go off in your head that something's not right. I remember sometimes specifically I was listening to the Christian radio in the background. I really wasn't even listening. And all of a sudden there was this, what did this guy just say? And I had to pay attention and found out that what he was saying was wrong. Some of my favorite teachers sometimes will say something that's just not quite biblical. You know, give you guys some bad feeling about me. I might even say something that's not even biblical. Not on purpose, not even meaning to. But I can get off on a different topic. And this is why I encourage all of us, be Bereans, get into the Word of God, study. If you find that I've said something, or you think I've said something wrong, come to me and talk to me. Don't go talking amongst all the people, you know, Pastor, he just doesn't know what he's talking about in this area. You know, come to me and tell me, because number one, I might have misspoken. My tongue sometimes gets tangled around my teeth, and I can't say, you know, speak what I wanted to say. Or I may literally have misunderstood. And my, my way that I've done this in the past with my pastors is I've gone up to them and said, Pastor, this is what I thought I heard you say. Because I might have heard wrong. You know, we're, on, we're on tape. You can verify whether you heard wrong or not. So it's easy in our case. 
some of my pastors haven't been on, on tape, so. But God is saying, be careful. We're, we have these people so that we're not carried away. We're not uh, tossed about. We're not infants. And then the last part is, there are people out there that are cunningly trying to steer, steer us away. A lot of the cults will try to do this, try to get in there and say, well, you know, this is really not what it says. It says this. You know, be careful of those kind of things. You know, and I've been talking to a lot of uh, Muslims at the prison, you know, and they, and they try to tell me that Jesus never said that he was God and all these different things. And, you know, so I get to talk to them about how to correctly interpret the scriptures. Okay? But do you know how to do those things? If somebody from some cult comes up to you and starts sharing these things, do you know how to answer them? If not, don't open your doors to the cults. Don't even start talking to them. Because they are convincing. If you don't know the answers, they can be very convincing with their cunningly described lies. And we want to be careful with that because we don't want to be misled. We don't want to do that. Then he tells us, speak the truth in love that we may grow in all things, which is the head, even Christ. A lot of people forget the in love part of the speaking in truth. <laughs> you know, it is very possible to tell the truth to somebody and hurt them. And we want to be careful with that. There are times when we want to say something that might even hurt them, but it needs to be in love. You see somebody walking the wrong way and you, you know, in the, into sin and you really care about them, Love says to speak to them. Okay? But it doesn't say, hey, you sinner, get right. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's going to be something more along, you know, hey, I've really noticed this going on in your life and I'm very concerned. And if somebody approaches you that way, you're probably going to be more willing to listen to them than if they're yelling at you or trying to make you feel bad because you're going in the wrong direction. Being in love, speaking in love is so precious and so vital. Speaking in love helps build unity. Speaking the truth without love is going to cause disunity and discord. Love. And sometimes love means that we're going to speak harsh thing, hard things into somebody's life. If, if you have your child and, and you're watching them make friends, bad friends, you're not going to, if you're a good parent, you're not just going to say, well, I don't care who your friends are. I'm just going to let you go out with that gang, all these gang members, and, and then you're wondering why they're in jail. You're going to go to them and say, hey, these really aren't good friends. You know, and you may not be able to control them you know, to their full degree, but you're going to say everything you can to discourage them from walking down the wrong path. Now, if you're crazy, you might forbid them to have those friends, and then they'll have the friends behind your back anyway. But you need to convince them that these are bad friends and that you're saying this because you love them. Not because you try to be mean and controlling, but that you don't want them headed the wrong path. We should do that with one another. If we see somebody really making some bad decisions, first we better pray. If you're going to try to correct somebody and you haven't been praying for them, don't. Don't try to correct them if you haven't been praying for them because you don't have the right heart attitude to begin with. Once you've been praying with them, then God may say, go talk to them. Make sure it's God talking about that. I did a bunch of counseling yesterday where a bunch of the men kept coming up to me. What do I do when somebody says they're a Christian and, and doesn't live, live the life? I'm going, my first answer was pray for them. Pray for them. Because they stand and fall before God. And it's critical that we understand everybody's going to stand and fall before God as their master. And the other point is, 
When you're looking at somebody's life, be very careful because you don't know what God's working on in their life. You may be concentrated over here and God's saying, I want them to correct this area over here. And you keep hammering them about this and you stop what God's doing because you got them so focused on what you think is important. And maybe what they're doing over here that God is working on may get them killed next week if they don't get it straightened out. You know, they're into some drugs or they're, they're getting in with a gang or something and you're worried about, you know, I haven't seen you in church in, in a long time. <laughs> You know, which is a pretty good thing to worry about, but God is saying they're getting ready to commit a crime and get shot by the police in two weeks, and I'm worried about this. So be very careful. Pray for people. Love them. But don't try to be God in their life. You know, we have that problem a lot of times with us as, as, as fathers and mothers. We try to be God in our kids' life and try to tell them what they have to do and what they need to do. We need to be able to let God be God in their life. Pray for them. Love them. Let them learn about God. And that doesn't mean we don't speak to them at all. It just means we be very careful and discerning about how we speak to them. Speak in love. And the whole purpose of that is that they will grow up in Christ. Okay? Grow up in Christ. The more we grow in Christ, the better decisions we're going to make. The more we grow up in Christ, the more we're going to live like him. The more we grow up in Christ, the more we're going to be like him because he's crucifying our flesh and he comes out of us. It is important that we grow in Christ because that is where the victories will come. That is where all of this will... And then the last part. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted with every joint supplying according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making an increase to the body and the edifying of itself in love. The end goal is for the church to be unified and each part operating correctly. And it will increase the body. Our body multiplies itself and grows on its own because each part grows. And it brings edification. The end result of the pastors and the evangelists and the prophets and the apostles is the church grows together in unity. And as Paul says in other places, he goes, some are, some are a finger, some are an eye, some are a foot, <laughs> some are a mouth. The whole body is not the same. If we had everybody the same, we would get nothing accomplished very much. We'd get one area covered really well. You know, if we had a bunch of feet, we'd have be moving around a lot. But no voice, no, no actions, you'd be moving around. Imagine if we were all one big eyeball. We'd see a lot of stuff. <laughs> but we couldn't speak about it, we couldn't act, act on it. And it makes it sound a little silly, but it really is what it is. The church has many parts, and it needs every part. Every part in the church is needed. Even if, even if you think, well, there's nothing I'm giving to the church, there's something that God has you here for. Every part of the body fitly joined together, supplying one another, edifying, growing the church. It starts with the leaders growing, helping the church grow, but then it comes down to the body helping itself grow and improve. As they get mature, as they, as they start speaking the God's word, as they start sharing God's word, it's all important to see that we need one another and we need to grow with one another. And I just want to encourage us, if you don't know God, get to know him. 
Okay? Get to know him. It's very simple gift that we talked. We all are sinners. Even those who've been saved for for a hundred years, we're still sinners. <laughs> Sin deserves punishment. The gift of God is that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. To get saved, we we just confess to Him, "I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come in and save me, God." And that starts your new life. And this is what Greg Laurie will speak tonight about. It's what I'm speaking about right now. The second part I want to challenge you: if you know Christ. Ask him to help you grow. First step is if you're not in his word, get in it. Get into his word and then get as much teaching as you can fit into your schedule. Well, I've shared with you, and if you come into my office, you know that there's preaching or something evangelical on that computer running <laughs> while I'm working. Because I need to be taught as well as everybody else. And I get different thoughts and different ideas from what, what I hear. Grow. Feed yourself. Many Christians, or people who claim to be Christians, come to church on Sunday morning for one hour a week, hear three or four minutes of the sermon before they zone out or go to sleep, and that's all the food they get until the next week they come to church. And that's if nothing happens next Sunday to say, well, I'm going to go camping or, or skiing or, or boating, and they skip that Sunday until they can get another two or three minutes of, of feeding. How strong would your body be if you fed it three minutes a week? You'd be in a hospital, if not in a grave. And yet most people are using that. And even if they paid attention to the whole sermon, it's still one meal once a week. Most of us wouldn't live long with one meal once a week. And we wouldn't be very happy or content our stomach would be grumbling, we'd be skin and bones. We want to be able to say, get out there, learn. Feed yourself, ultimately. The ultimate goal for any pastor is for their own, for the people in their flock to be able to feed themselves. Get into the Word of God and learn. Learn what God is sharing with you. And my goal for everybody in here is that everybody gets good enough, they can be teachers. Yeah. 30 teachers in this church. You know, if we had that many teachers in the church, we'd probably find some people to teach that need to be taught because God would have the teachers there. Very important for us to get to this point. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had. We ask that you help. First off, anybody who needs to know you, Lord, that they will come to you and that they will share that they've come to you so we can get them started right. And Lord, I challenge that you put on people's hearts to become more and more mature, to grow, to be able to read the word on their own, to be able to see what you would have them to see, to learn discernment, to learn proper care of their soul. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.